like you, I've seen and worked with and for some great bosses. I've also seen, worked with, and for some that taught me a lot about the kind of leader I don't want to be. Of course, there are several key distinctions between the two. Today, we're going to cover one that stands out to me in which I can cite real-life benefits from paying particular attention to. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. Have you ever worked at a place where their culture was one based on fear, or maybe even resentment, or a culture in a company where there was chaos, all the time, or friction, or drama? I have, and I didn't like it one bit. So one of the promises I made myself was I wouldn't allow that to happen in my own company. Before I got there, of course, you know, for decades, I had, like anyone else, I had bosses, and I had peers who were managers, and I saw how how people interacted with their teams, and I saw the the cultures that came out of that. And and well before I owned a company, I, I paid attention to the kinds of behaviors that leaders had and the kinds of outcomes with the culture they would give. So it wasn't like I just woke up one day and said, I'm not going to allow that to happen to my own company. But along the way, I would see <laughs> a boss do a certain behavior over a period of months or years, and I would see how people reacted. And, it, you know, some things became really clear. Like if you, if you see what actions bosses take and you see the outcomes that come from the team, these things become pretty predictable. So, but I did make it a point when I started my own company, of course, like there was things I didn't want to have happen in my company. There was that, those feelings of uh, resentment that permeated cultures I'd been part of, or again, fear-based culture was a big one. I just didn't want that in my own company. I'd also worked at places where, where they had pieces of what I wanted, where there was a culture of improvement or teamwork, success, and harmony. I hadn't really figured out a place where they had it all. You know, I think that's true for all of us. Like we take the things that, you know, each place we've worked or experience we've had, they have a piece of what we want. And then we we try to put it all together. I think that's true for all of us. And then there's certainly things like, I don't want that. (laughs) Make sure I avoid those kinds of things. So I don't think it's unique for me is my point that to have worked at places where I took pieces of things that I thought they did really well. And I tried to put that all together and create, a culture within our own company that that took the best of all the places I'd worked. I, I don't think that's unusual. One of the beliefs I landed on was that how the leader or boss goes about finding root causes for and solving problems drove a lot of how the culture developed. When I wrote my book, I wrote entire chapters that I later took out in the editing process of the numerous lessons I learned from really crummy bosses. Like I had I had a chapter for I think six different, maybe eight different bosses <laughs> and I had and these weren't these were not great experiences frankly 
but but in each one, of course, I change the name and the scenario and all the kinds of things you'd have to do in that in that circumstance. But I I, I was really clear on things I had learned from each one. And again, I ended up coming out of the book, and that's fine. But still, these are there's a, a number of things that I learned from really crummy bosses, both personally experiencing as a result of their tactics or or strategies, if you want to call them that. But moreover, seeing how it it affected the entire team. And listening to the conversations that were had when, when they thought nobody was listening, you know, <laughs> we used to call them like parking lot conversations. So we'd have the meeting with the whole company or the whole branch or the whole, you know, whatever. And, you know, that's the meetings I always talk about where everybody, you know, sits there and nods and smiles at the right time. Those, those kinds of meetings where we, we have the official meeting. And then there's a meeting that happens in the parking lot in the smoking circle. But that's the real meeting. That's where people really talk about what they really think. And sometimes they would say things out there that I would be passing by or whatever. Uh, you know, it, oftentimes they would clam up when they see me because I was in a leadership role and they were worried about me hearing things or whatever. Sometimes they wouldn't, though. And it was those conversations where I always learned like, what people really think. But anyhow, I digress. Uh, when I wrote the book, there was, there was entire chapters about some of the things I learned from these folks. And here's just a few examples of what some of these, what I call, you know, horrible bosses like the movie. Uh, taught me. First and foremost, one of the traits I saw was it can never be their fault. No matter what it is, if someone went sideways, it could not be their fault. The default position, almost always, is that it's probably an employee's fault. If the process was broken, the employee should have known to fix it. If the employee tried to fix a broken process on their own and it didn't work out, they should have followed the original process. If an employee brings a suggestion to us for an improvement, they don't do it on their own. We'll get to it someday, but it's probably not urgent now because we got much, much bigger fish to fry because I'm a really important guy. I'm the boss. One of my mentors used to joke about this with his boss. So this was a guy two levels above me in the org chart. He would call this the, we would bring things to him to, for improvement or suggestions. And they had a, a spot on his desk that my boss, one of my great mentors, Mike, called the abyss of indecision <laughs> and and we would you know again it was comical but frustrating at the same time there was literally a corner it was like an inbox on the guy's desk where we would bring things and say hey we think we can make some improvements here and he would give it a once over and then he would toss it in this inbox on the corner of his desk and it would sit there for months or forever and again my my mentor would joke well it's in the abyss of indecision so you know we know how that goes the reason I bring that up is in, is because we were sincerely trying to make improvements and they were still stymied. So again, going back to my examples before, if the employee tries to, to fix something broken on their own and it doesn't work, they should have followed the original process. If they follow the original process and it didn't work out, the employee should have known to fix it. And if they bring it to us, we're going to get to it someday. So I, I'm intentionally painting the picture here that kind of no matter what the, no matter what the employee does, it's seen as their fault. And if all else fails, the employee just needs to figure it out. This is one of the common threads that I've seen in cultures I've worked at where it just good employees were frustrated and would leave and really not so great employees would stay and, and create a very resentful antagonistic culture. And in my opinion, one of not, not entirely, but one of the root causes is this kind of the boss must be protected from being discovered of having any fault at all costs. 
the cultures that rose out of these mindsets were just absolutely terrible. It's a wonder to me that these companies made any money at all. So in order to develop a culture of improvement, I needed basically to do the opposite of what these loons I had worked for did. And when I say do the opposite, like it was critical to them to, to be able to point to a person and say, this person did wrong. Again, my, my hypothesis is because it was critical to find a different person that had, had done wrong to protect the boss from being fingered as the person who had done wrong. That's my hypothesis. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. But what I know is they were hyper-focused on who made the mistake. Now, I, I wanted the opposite of what they had. I didn't want a culture of resentment. I wanted a culture. I didn't want a culture of fear. I wanted a culture of improvement. So I did the opposite of what these folks were, did, which was they were hyper-focused on who did wrong, and I didn't want to do that. So I wanted to make sure I focused on something different, which was what went wrong. And this is something that I think I was perhaps born with a little bit of this, but really, really developed for me over a series of, again, working for these handful of just not great bosses. You know, and again, I, I don't think that's unique to me. I, we all have stories of people we've worked for or with that we're just like, you, know, you look at a peer manager, you know, who runs a different department or a team or whatever. And you're like, what the hell are you thinking? You know, or you, you look at your boss sometimes or their boss sometimes. Like, you know, I, I think we all have these experiences. Um, for me, though, this is one of the areas I focus on was I don't want to I don't want to get in that in the habit of figuring out who made the mistake, because oftentimes we're not going to agree on that. So, like, what's the point? Right. And again, it felt to me like the primary objective was to make sure the mistake couldn't be pinned on the boss. Now, lucky for me, part of my career, you know, I spent a whole couple of years of my career going through um, quality training and process improvement stuff. And, and there's a, I learned a whole methodology for figuring out what went wrong that did not focus on who went wrong. And I've talked about on here, like this is the, the methodology that like literally saved the Japanese auto industry after world war II, And it's literally the, the methodology that made, companies like samsung and toyota you know that some of the hp like it's these massive companies like some of the most dominant com companies in the world did it through these principles it literally saved harley davidson from going bankrupt in 1983 these kinds of principles are very proven to work and so lucky for me i was at the right place at the right time and i got to learn them so we're gonna get more than that in a minute first i want to make sure you know that the new group i've been talking about for a while business tips which stands for business tactics and immediate problem solving has officially launched. This is the lowest cost, shortest time investment package I've ever put together for less than hundred bucks a month and only two meetings per month that you can attend live on Zoom or you can watch later at your own convenience because they're recorded. You have a place to ask questions and work through the challenges you are facing with employees who don't seem to care or seem to get it, as well as getting help overcoming challenges you face to scale your business from someone who's been right there, right where you are today. Members also get access to my entire video library as well as lots of other bonuses I don't have time to go over here. It's less than 100 bucks a month. You get like real life, ask, ask um, a question and get very specific step-by-step -step solutions to the problems you're facing today. To join, just go to businesstips.com. I'm sorry, excuse me, joinbusinesstips.com. That's joinbusinesstips.com to, uh, to enroll. Again, less than 100 bucks a month, couple meetings. You get it, you know, you'll get it post questions and, and we'll, we'll dive right into your business and help you with, with putting step-by-step -step solutions in to solve the problems that you're facing and holding you back right now. All right. So the, the objective process improvement system or techniques or whatever you want to call it requires finding root causes. 
the entire point of process improvement is to figure out what went wrong and let's prevent that. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of the entire gist of it. So in order to find root causes, you've heard me talk about this before. There's a technique called the five whys, but even if you don't use the five whys, a a lot of of the diagnosis is in asking the the question why a lot. And it's also critical. Like this is this is perhaps the most important part of the entire thing is that I as the person who am leading the discussion of the diagnosis so we can solve the problem it is absolutely critical meaning if i don't have this thing i'm about to talk about none of this other stuff really matters like none of it it's it, like the conversations are a complete waste of time if i don't have this i must have forthcoming honest answers to my why questions this is perhaps in my opinion the most important thing the most important part of the whole thing if I'm not going to get forthcoming, honest answers from the team about what went wrong, I'm not going to be very likely to find the the root cause. Or if I do, it's going to take me months instead of minutes because I have to like investigate and sort through where people are not telling the truth. When people feel defensive, they withdraw, they shade the truth, they leave out details, they avoid saying things that might box them in or point the finger at them. So knowing that, what do I need to do? I need to make sure people don't feel defensive. This is this is one of my primary things I focus on is not is is not allowing a culture to develop where people feel defensive. Because I need forthcoming honest answers when I ask my why questions and I'm going to ask why questions because I want to figure out what's what's going on. I want to figure out what's going wrong. So I need to not have people feel defensive. I need people who are willing, if not eager, to be forthcoming and honest. Now how do I do that? Well, my strategy was this. And and this is when I talk about like I can cite real life examples where I benefit from this. I'm going to cite real life examples here or a real life example. Anyway, I make sure they knew from like day one, day two, day three in that window, usually day two, I would make sure that they knew that my intention is to find root causes to processes and fix them. I wanted to make sure they knew well in advance that I'm going to ask a lot of questions when things go wrong. I want to make sure they knew well in advance that this is a process to learn what went wrong and that I honestly didn't care and don't care who made the mistake. Now, you might be thinking, that sounds a little pie in the sky to me, Brian. I, and I get that. I understand that. First of all, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm not human, and I'm not saying I didn't make mistakes. I did. <laughs> There's plenty of times I got emotional, and I would say or things, do, do things that later on I would regret, just like everyone else. I'm not, I'm not suggesting I was perfect at this, but I was intentional. And I, and I was, was very specific with people and I would prepare them for this way in advance of anything going wrong. And, and part of it for me is deep down, I truly don't care whose fault something is. I, I really don't. I believe if mistakes happen, it's just as likely the, the process is flawed or unknown or unclear as it is that the person who made the mistake is careless. I really believe that. I also regularly remind myself that I'm doing a reasonably good job of removing people from the company that don't want to do a good job. Therefore, by default, I'm generally only left with people who have at least a reasonable interest in doing a good job. Does that mean they don't ever do things that cause me to ask? Like, exactly what the hell are you thinking here? <laughs> of course, there's times that that's going to happen. We're all human. I still eat too much ice cream. And then two days later, I go, what were you thinking? Why would you eat that much ice cream? That's crazy. Why would you do that? We all do this. But if my team or a particular employee has a reasonable interest in doing a good job, then I'm going to treat them as such. 
until it's time to not do that. And we've talked about that before. Once I have a, a belief that a person uh, no longer has a reasonable interest in doing a good job, they got to go. And I'm like quickly, they got to go. But if I haven't come to that conclusion for a particular employee or a group or whatever, I need to, I need to balance both accountability and grace. We're again, we're all human. As previously stated, these are generally people who want to do a good job. So we all deserve grace. We fall short and we all need to be held accountable to do the right thing. So there's, it's a balance, right? For me, it's a balance. But because I don't have any interest in dwelling on or focusing on who made the mistake, it doesn't also mean I don't hold people accountable. Quite the opposite. This is, this is a whole nother topic. I don't want to get sidetracked in this, but I can assure you that people running over me and taking, and, and me not holding them accountable has not been a thing I've had to worry about in my career. That's, that's just not a problem I've had to face. So this is the kind of preparatory statement I would make well in advance. It's really important to me to figure out what went wrong rather than who did wrong. And this is that's kind of the statement I would say. You might paraphrase it a little bit, but again, day one, day two, day three, and and onward from there. Like this wasn't a one and done conversation. I would have this conversation regularly. Now I don't I didn't script out how often, but I would remind folks, not when there was a problem. Not when there was a crisis, not when we were in the diagnosis phase, way before that, and maybe again in the, in the diagnosis phase. But my point is, I wouldn't just say these words when there was a problem. I would say these words well in advance so people were prepared that I'm going to ask a lot of questions, but I truly don't care whose fault it is. I just want to figure out what went wrong so we can solve the problem. It's really important to me that we figure out what went wrong, not who did wrong, because I... I want to make sure we don't make the same mistakes over and over again. That does bother me. That bothers me a lot. So I would follow up with something like I would tell people like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to ask a lot of questions, but I'm not really dwelling on who, who made the mistake. I do care about what went wrong because I don't want to make repetitive mistakes. And I'd follow that up, especially in the beginning. Again, this day two, day three conversation. I know you've probably heard some version of this as places you've worked before only to find out they really do care who's at fault. But I promise, even though we will often need to find out exactly what happened, which of course will include discovering who did what, I'm only interested in diagnosing what went wrong so we don't make the same mistakes again. And I would say this in front of the other team. So if we if we had a, a new person start and you know she was sitting at her desk, I would in the in the room with all the other employees, like I would have this conversation in front of everyone because it was great reminders for everyone. I wouldn't like this. wasn't like a one-on-one -on -one conversation where I was like secretive about that. It was the opposite. Like I wanted everybody to know that if they, if they could hear this once a month, that'd be fantastic for me because I want to know that I don't, I, I truly mean this. Like, and I, and I also want to be held accountable to honor what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to say this and then declare it. And then when the, when it really matters, I don't do this. Like that's the opposite of what I want. And this is one of the mistakes that I think we make is overestimating our ability to do this when it counts. And underestimating the ability or the, the necessity of explaining to folks in advance what we're trying to accomplish. So what I mean by that is all those horrible bosses I, I wrote whole chapters of my book that were edited out. I would imagine every one of them thinks that they were awesome at this. And I would imagine that I think I'm better at this than I really am too. But this is a way for me to hold myself accountable to do what really, really mattered, not just say one thing and actually do another. This is, I think this is a, a, th a thing that we've all got to be aware of. Like there has to be something to hold me accountable to do the thing I say I want to do. And this is my version of that is declaring this. And listen, there was times again, I'm not perfect. I'm human. And things were there. There'd be big consequences or big urgency. And I would get off track and I'd start focusing on like, well, who did this? And, and, and people would say, it kind of feels like we're heading down the path of who did what instead of what went wrong. 
And I sometimes they were right and sometimes they were wrong. And but it was a way to hold myself accountable to do the thing that I said in the moment that counted. Because of course, declaring it is the easy part. Doing it consistently when it counts is the hard part. Again, I'm not saying I was perfect with that. But because I didn't have a pattern of doing this, my team also showed me grace. Because I didn't have a pattern of, of regularly focusing on who went wrong, even if I did go down the wrong path, and sometimes because of urgency or because of my emotional state or whatever, I would start focusing on that. They would give, they would give me grace too. And so I'd have this conversation with them, you know, again, repetitively, immediately after hire, and then kind of ongoing. And sometimes we would have the conversation before getting into a situation like or if I knew it was going to be like a sensitive topic and people were going to be especially paranoid, I would remind them, listen, we're going to ask, I'm going to ask some questions. We're going to go down a, a diagnosis path here. I truly don't care who did, who made the mistake. I care that we don't make the same mistake again, which means we got to figure out what went wrong, not who went wrong. Because if you made a mistake today, it's, it's almost a certainty that if we don't fix the problem, somebody else is going to make it again in six months or three days or whatever. Like that's almost a mathematical certainty. That's what I'm trying to pre- prevent. I don't really care who made the mistake. Again, if people display a, a pattern of behavior where they just don't care, they don't follow the procedures, they don't, they don't make good decisions, that's different. I'm not talking about that. And those people got to go, and quickly. <laughs> but one of the proudest moments I ever had as a business owner, maybe even a, a leader in a, in a company, one of the proudest moments I ever had was something that was, was be, would be so insignificant to, to anyone else who was there when it happened. I was explaining to a new hire, happened to be a female in, in an office environment. I was having my conversation with her in front of the whole team, like, hey, welcome aboard. We're glad you're here. I think it's going to be a great fit, the whole, you know, you know, welcome to the team kind of thing. And I began having this conversation and saying, like, there's going to be times where things go wrong. And, and of course, we're going to be asking questions. We, as a team, the people sitting here, not we, me and the other owners or, you know, other quote unquote bosses. We, as this team of people sitting here, are going to be asking questions to figure out. I promise you, I don't care who did, who made the mistake. I care about fixing what went wrong. And in that moment, another employee who had been with us for three or four years looked at the new employee and said, I know you hear this a lot probably. Maybe you don't, but he really means it. That really is how it is here. And that was like, I get goosebumps now talking about it because that that demonstrated we had a culture of people who sincerely believed that. And the benefit for me was when I would ask why questions, like why did this happen? Why did this happen? When did that happen? Who, people were not defensive about it, and they gave me honest answers, which allowed me to do a much better job of diagnosing what the problems were and solving the problems so we didn't do the thing which I cared about most, which is making the same mistake again. So everyone got what they wanted. I got to not make repetitive mistakes. We still weeded out tons of people that, you know, again, like anyone else who's been in business for more than, 10 years, you, you hire people that just aren't a good fit. We, we did a good job of weeding those folks out. And we had a culture of people who wanted to improve and do a good job and work together and be better, which is all I could ever ask for. And that, I would say, is part of the reason why I was able to only work a few days a week and, say, and take several weeks of vacation on top of that every year. I think this is one of the most critical things, which is basically just doing the opposite of what the, the crummy bosses I'd worked for had done. So that is the thing I would suggest is we got to focus on what went wrong, not who did wrong in those moments where that's really not what we're interested in. We're, we're interested in finding doing things in the shortest possible way. And like, well, it's a Sally's fault. Of course, that's what happened. And we just like leave it there. That, that was not my style because of the 
I saw the consequences of, of what happened when people took that approach. And I didn't like it. And I didn't want to be part of it in my own company for sure. I did not want to dread coming to work in my own company. So don't forget, go to www.joinbusinesstips.com to get immediate help to speed up on the process of getting through the challenges you face in your business right now from someone who's been there. Again, less than 100 bucks a month, a couple meetings, if you can't make it in the recorded, you get access to my entire video library plus a, a bunch of other bonuses. Joinbusinesstips.com. Go check it out. Also, if you find this episode helpful, please share it with a friend or colleague you think could benefit from it. Of course, public sharing is also appreciated. That's how we grow these things. Liking, rating, reviews, sharing, all that good stuff. That's it for this week, and I'll talk to you all next week.